Isaiah 53. This past Wednesday night, we considered uh, another one of the attributes of God. We'd kind of gone away from that a little bit, speaking about theology, and we'd been speaking about the attributes of God. And as we'd been working our way through Hebrews 11, we had kind of gone away from that. We came back Wednesday night, and we spoke about another one of God's great attributes. We spoke about His justice. And the words just and justice, they mean right, they mean consistent, they mean equitable. And by the way, not the way we hear that word used today, it means equitable based upon God's authoritative law. It means holy and righteous. In our sin-stained humanity, our justice system is hardly just, is it? Sometimes they get it right, many times they don't. We may often hear that justice was not served in a certain case. Maybe a criminal received a lighter punishment than deserved, or maybe he received no punishment whatsoever. But I want to submit to us this morning, and we're going to speak about God's justice once again this morning, and I submit to us this morning that in God's justice system, justice is always served. Every single time. This truth answers the question of why. Why did Christ have to come? We had to come because of God's justice. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Isaiah chapter number 53. If you found your place, and if you're physically able, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read three verses. We'll allow the children to be dismissed to junior church and to toddler church this morning. Isaiah chapter number 53, we're going to begin reading in Verse number 10. The Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many." For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Verse number 10, once again, the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And this morning, for the next few moments, I want to preach on this subject matter. Justice is served. Justice is served. If you have a bulletin, you have the outline on the back. You can follow along. If you don't, that's okay. It'll be easy to follow along this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach and help today. Let me say this. If you're here today and you have any doubt whatsoever about your eternity, if death were to take you today, and it could... If death were to take you today and you have no confidence of where you will spend eternity, I pray that by the time we finish with Isaiah 53 today, that you'll see who you are, see who Christ is and what He's done, and see who you can be in the Lord Jesus Christ, because justice has been served. Father, we love you today. We pray that you'd help us. We pray that you'd teach us. Challenge us, Lord. I I do pray if there would be folks here today that have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they've never had their sins 
plunged in the blood of Christ, washed away, forgiven, cleansed forever. Father, I pray that today would be that day of salvation. And then, Father, for us as believers, those of us who with no doubt whatsoever, based upon the assurance of Your Word, we know that we're saved, we know that we've placed our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. Father, I pray that Isaiah 53 today would stir our hearts to a greater thankfulness to a greater service, to a greater understanding of why we should be who you have saved us to be. And so, Father, teach us, remind us, help us, challenge us, convict us today. Father, I do pray for those that are away from us today, some with sickness, some traveling. Father, we pray that you would give healing. We pray that you give them safety, bring them back together with us at the next appointed time. Father, for those watching by way of the live stream today, Father, I pray that you bless their hearts today. That one that might be watching today without Christ, Father, may you save him or her today. Father, we love you. Father, bless in these next few moments. We commit this time to you. It's your time. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in our midst. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Written some 700 years before Christ climbed that hill to Golgotha, Excuse me. Isaiah observes and pins events that would occur thousands of years after Golgotha's sorrow. We have before us most likely one of the greatest messianic prophecies in the whole of the Old Testament or really the whole of the Bible for that matter. Most of Isaiah 53 is presented in perfect or past tense as if the events have already occurred. By the way, Isaiah chapter 52, right here, Isaiah 53 is sandwiched in between, of course, 52 and 54. Isaiah 52 is speaking. It is a vision of Jerusalem during the millennial age. Isaiah 54 speaks of a restored Jerusalem. And in the middle, sandwiched, Isaiah 53 is a, excuse me, a redeemed Israel looking back with great sorrow at their rejection of the true Messiah. And in Isaiah 53.10, the Scriptures declare that the Lord was and is absolutely satisfied, pleased, the Bible says in verse number 10, with the justice administered upon His Son, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want us to look at, at three truths, if I could this morning, we'll develop these a little bit. I want us to see, first of all, I want us to see the trial of our transgressions. The trial of our transgressions. Here's the truth. Every single one of us, we know this this morning. The Bible tells us that. And by the way, we are tried. And by trial, I don't mean a trial that we go through as like a sorrow. I mean put on trial. A judge, a jury, a prosecutor. We're the defendant. We are put on trial for our transgressions. We are put on trial. And by the way, we are measured against what? What are we measured against? Okay, we're measured against the holiness of God. We're measured against, Romans 3.23, we're measured against the perfection of God. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. When measured against the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness, the justice of God, we all come short, don't we? Because we're sinners. We were born sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We're born that way. And we are tried against God's perfection. And we see, first of all, the trial of our transgressions. Look at verse number 4 with me, if you would. The Bible says here in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely 
He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. The idea there is, hey, we, we, we saw the sorrows, we saw the griefs, but we looked at it as if He deserved that. We know different now, but we looked at it as if, yes, He deserves that. Verse number 5, it says, But He was wounded, notice this, for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. We're going to see five words here. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, excuse me, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. Verse number 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And so when we think about the trial of our transgressions, we have five words mentioned here really in verses 5 and 6. We have the word transgression. The word transgression means to trespass. It means to revolt. It means to rebellion. Very simply, it means to go beyond. We've all seen no trespassing signs. When we see those signs, we're not supposed to go past that sign. Private property, no trespassing. Well, transgressions mean God has set up a boundary. He has set up His law, and I have trespassed that. I have transgressed that. I have revolted. I have rebelled. I have gone beyond what God has set up. So that's the first word, transgression. The transgression of sin. Secondly, the iniquity of sin. He uses the word iniquity. Iniquity means to bend. It means to twist. It means to pervert or distort that which is good. Iniquity. Bend, twist, pervert, distort. By the way, we see it all the time in our, in our society. Maybe even in our own lives we have done that. We have bent, we have distorted, we have twisted that which God has meant for good. By the way, everything God creates, the devil distorts. Everything good God creates, and by the way, what He creates is good. The devil distorts it, He twists it, He perverts it. Marriage, isn't it good? God created marriage to be good. Well, the devil perverts it. The devil wants us to do everything outside of the bonds of marriage. Um, man and woman, God created that. That's good, right? Well, the devil has perverted that to the day in which we live. There's no man, there's no woman. You can be whatever you want to be. The devil perverts. So transgression, iniquity. And then I'll use this word. We don't find it in the verse, but I use the word disease. The disease of sin. The Bible says there that with his stripes... We are healed. The fourth word I would use is the word chaos. In verse number 6, or excuse me, the verse number 5, he says the chastisement of our, what's the word there? Peace was upon him. In order for us to have peace, he had to be chastised. Okay, so in it, the opposite of peace is what? Chaos. And that's what sin brings in our life. It brings chaos. And then the fifth word is the word astray. We use the word lost. The trial of our transgressions. It's a very simple trial. It's very quick. Speedy. Take your Bibles. Stay here in Isaiah 53. Hold your place. And go with me to Romans chapter 3 if you would. The trial of our transgressions. Speedy trial. A just trial. Because when you look at our iniquities and our transgressions and the disease of sin and the chaos of sin and the fact that we've all gone astray, verse number 6 says. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. What is the verdict? The verdict is guilty. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. It's easy. We're We're sinners. Now, some maybe not to the extent of others, 
But the Bible says if we've sinned in one, if we've offended in one, we've what? We've offended in all. Romans chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 9 if we could. The trial of our transgressions. We're on trial. We have been put on trial. The Bible tells us right here in Romans chapter 3, the verdict. The Bible says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of here, here's the word we see in Isaiah 53, the way of what? Peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Notice this that every mouth may be stopped. Stop making the excuses. Stop arguing. Stop telling me how good you are. Stop telling me all of your righteousness says, as Isaiah says. Stop telling me that you've done this and this. Stop telling me about your baptism. and Stop telling me about your church membership. He says, no, no, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become what? Guilty. Before God. And by the way, he's saying Jew or Gentile. Because in this passage, the Jews are like, well, we're Jews. No, no, no. Verse 9, he says, we've proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Verse 23, we mentioned it just a moment ago. Excuse me, a moment ago, verse 23 says, for all, all. It's an easy word to understand, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the trial of our transgressions. When we are put up against God's perfection, we're all guilty. Listen, when I was nine years old, raised in a good home, raised with a good mom and a good dad who'd never let me really get away with anything, at nine years old, I understood I was guilty. I was guilty. I'd never murdered anybody. I'd never committed adultery. I'd never stolen anything, but I was guilty. I'd been disobedient to my mom and dad. I had lied. And the Bible says if you, if you offend in one, you offend in all. And as a nine-year-old, I understood. I was a sinner. I understood my transgressions, even though I don't even know that I knew what that word meant at nine years old, but I understood that I was guilty. Number one, the trial of our transgressions. Number two, number two, would you look back at Isaiah 53 again? Number one, we see the trial of our transgressions. And here's the trial. Here's the verdict. We're guilty. Number two, what normally comes after a guilty verdict? What comes next? A sentence. And so number two, we see the condemnation of the criminal. The condemnation of the criminal. Romans chapter 6, where we were in the book of Romans, just three chapters over. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is what? death. That's the sentence. The verdict is guilty. The sentence is death. Separation from God forever in the lake of fire. For the wages of sin is that what I have earned, 
I've earned death. My sin, I deserve and I've earned. That's my wage. That's my paycheck. That's my income for my sin. I deserve death. Separation forever from God in the lake of fire. I deserve that. That's the condemnation of the criminal. He says here in Isaiah chapter number 53, verse number 4, Notice all of the different words that are used. Verse number 4, he says, Surely he hath, what's the word there? Borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And what's the word there? Afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7. He was, what's the word there? Oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So, excuse me. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And they're looking back. A restored Israel, a restored Jerusalem. They're looking back. And they're saying, how could we have rejected the Messiah? He, he was... He was bruised, he was wounded, he was cut off. Notice in verse 8 again, he said, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse number 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. The condemnation of the criminal is very simple. It's death. But here's the thing, whose sentence was it? It was mine. It was my death sentence. It's what I deserved for my sin, for my transgressions. When I am tried for my transgressions, the verdict is guilty and the sentence is condemnation. You're a criminal. You are condemned to die. But number three, number three, the justice of the judge. Number one, the trial of our transgressions. We're guilty. The condemnation of the criminal. What's, what is the sentence? It's the death sentence. It's our death sentence. But the justice of the judge. But he, and you know this. I'm telling probably most of you in here this morning, I'm not telling you anything new. He took my sentence for me. He took my sin. By the way, He had to take my sin so that He could take my sentence. Because He was sinless. And we'll see that in just a moment. He had to take my sin. And the Bible says that, that, that our iniquity was laid upon Him in verse number 6. He had to take my sin so that then He could take my sentence. He died on the cross of Calvary and He shed His blood. One, the trial of our transgressions. We're guilty. The condemnation of the criminal. The condemnation, the verdict, the sentence is death. Separation from God forever in the lake of fire. And that's what every single one of us deserve. Pastor, that's harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be truthful with us this morning. That's what we deserve. We deserve separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But praise God for the justice of the judge. 
And praise God for what that entails. Look at verse number 10 again. The Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord. Carries the idea of not that he's sitting in heaven and he's cheering and he's got pom-poms and oh, that pleases me to bruise my son. No, no, no. It means it satisfied his measuring stick. His measuring stick was perfection. Jesus Christ is the only one that ever met that. And it said it pleased him to bruise him. Down later in the verse... It says, He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Actually, it says it in verse number 11. It says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be, what's the word? Satisfied. The justice of the judge. The Bible says in Genesis 18, verse number 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So we would say, well, if God is just and He always does right and He's consistent and He's holy and He's righteous, if He's just, then how in the world could He ever let me get into heaven? Because I know me better than anybody. How could He let me into heaven? How could He justify me? Because I don't deserve it. What I deserve is death. That's my sentence. Notice again what the Bible says here in Isaiah 53. I know, I know listen, I, I, I know we're being somewhat superficial with Isaiah 53 this morning. We're just hitting the high points. Can I give you three things here real quickly? He took my stripes... He took my sin so that He could take my sentence. Take your Bibles. Hold your place there. We're going to come back in just a moment to Isaiah 53. Would you go to 1 Peter with me this morning? 1 Peter chapter number 2. He took my stripes. He took my sin so that He could take my sentence. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We'll begin reading verse 22. The Bible says, who did no sin. Verse 21, it says, He has left us an example that we should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not. But committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Verse 24, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree. That we... Being dead to sins, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, who are sometimes dead in your trespasses and sins, it says He's quickened us, He's made us alive. Who His own self bears sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. By the way, when, when, when mom and dad, or when the Sunday school teacher, or when the master club teacher on Wednesday night talks to you about living right and doing right and not doing this but doing this. Why do they do that? Because the Bible says, because we're dead to sin, because He's taken my sin, because He's made me alive, should live under righteousness. I should live righteously because He deserves it. Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. That means it, it binds me. It grips me. And the love that He had for me, He said, I can't help but live for the Lord Jesus Christ because He's done everything for me. By whose stripes you were healed, go over, if you would, just probably a page to chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 18. He took my stripes. He took my sin so that He could take my sentence. Verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once 
suffered for sins. Notice this, the what? What's the word there? The just. The right, legally and morally. The righteous, the innocent, the consistent, the holy. The just for the who? The unjust. That He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Number one, the trial of our transgressions, we're guilty. Number two, the condemnation of the criminal, we are sentenced to death. Okay, pastor, I deserve death. This is where the justice of the judge comes in. Go back with me, if you would, to Romans chapter number three, where we were just a moment ago. Romans chapter number three. See, my sentence is death. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, we read down to verse number 19, we we saw verse 23. But if we continue to read the rest of the chapter, I deserve death. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ came and He stood in my place. He was my propitiation. He was my sacrifice. He was the one that stood there. He was the one that, that God the Father bruised. He was the one that was wounded. He was the one that suffered. He was the one that died. In my place so that I don't have to die. You say, Pastor, does that mean I'm never going to die? Well, if the rapture happens, you won't. But if it doesn't, yeah, you'll still die. But just like that, you'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no hold on us anymore. You see, we, we, our bodies will be put in the, in the ground, be put in the casket, but that's just a shell, that's just a body. Death, hell, and the grave have no hold on us anymore because of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says here, let's begin in verse number 24 of Romans 3. The Bible says, being, look at that word, justified. Justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because people would say, well, how could God, if He's really holy, if He's really just, then how could He let someone who's a murderer go to heaven? That's not just. By the way, David was a murderer. You say, well, he didn't really do it. Well, I think we're parsing, we're, we're um, splitting hairs there, aren't we? David was a murderer, but Romans chapter 4 speaks about his faith and that he was made righteous because of his faith. How could a just, holy, right, righteous, consistent God allow people like us into heaven? Because a righteous, just, holy, perfect, pure, sacrifice stood in my stead. And so now when God looks at me, He sees the Son. When God looks at me, He sees His righteousness, not my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. Verse number 25. Or actually, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 21. I don't want to miss this either. He says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is what? By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Verse 25. Whom God hath set forth, speaking of Jesus, back in verse 24, Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His what? Blood through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So, when a person 
like me, when a person like Alex, when a person like Jacob comes by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, look, I know who I am. I'm a sinner. I deserve, I know my sentence. I know I'm guilty and then I, that's the verdict. I know my sentence is death. I know what I deserve. But I know that one came to die for me. And when somebody puts their faith in the finished work, in the blood of Christ, the Bible says He makes us what? Righteous. He makes us whole. He makes us clean. He gives us His righteousness. And so now God doesn't look at me and see, He doesn't see my righteousness, which is filthy rags. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what it says here in verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins. And then verse 26, notice this. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. He puts His righteousness on me so that He can do what? He can still be just and He can still be the justifier. He can justify us and He can allow us into heaven and He can look at us. We've all heard justified just as if I had never sinned. He can look at us and say He's justified and I can still be just because my Son who is perfect, who is righteous, who is whole took their sins, took their sentence, which was death. And now they're righteous. The trial of our transgressions, guilty. The condemnation of the criminal, death. Separation from God forever. The justice of the judge, he always does right. And because we can never get ourselves to heaven, he said, you know what, I have to send someone. I have to send someone who is perfect, who is righteous, because in my justice, I can never let sin in my presence. I can never let sin into my heaven because I'm just and I'm I'm always the same. We spoke about it Wednesday night. Look, our fleshly eyes are bent sometimes by partiality. That's why our justice system isn't perfect. Sometimes our human flesh and our human eyes is bent... By pride and prejudice, prejudice, excuse me. By the way, sometimes our verdicts are moved and they're pulled. We pull, our heartstrings are pulled, right? That doesn't happen with God. Because Pastor, are you saying God doesn't have any affection or, or compassion? No, that, that's who He is. But that's the wonderful thing about God. Whereas... My compassion sometimes allows the flesh to come in. And it's not true biblical compassion. God never changes. God is always the same. He's immutable. He never lies. And so He can be compassionate but still be just. Because He never changes. He doesn't allow... We saw Wednesday night, the Bible says that He is not a respecter of persons, right? He's not bent toward partiality. He's not bent because, oh man, this guy's rich, so I'm going to kind of overlook and condone some things. No, 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 no. He's not bent that way. His character is always the same. So, for Him to allow us into His heaven, there had to be perfection. And that perfection was Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and go back to Isaiah 53. We're going to end right here. That's the message this morning. The trial of our transgression, we're guilty. The condemnation of the criminal, our sentence is death. But the justice of the judge 
is that He sent the just one, as we saw in the book of Acts Wednesday night. Jesus Christ being the just one. He sent Him to die on the cross of Calvary. He was bruised. He was wounded. He died. He was afflicted. He was oppressed. He did all of that for us. He took my stripes. He took my sin so that He could take my sentence, which was death. And so now, He can be just and the justifier. And when a person comes by faith, by the way, you're already back in Isaiah 53. Let me finish. I didn't finish Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 26, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by what? Faith without the deeds of the law. The justice of the judge means that Jesus Christ stood in my stead. And now by faith, if I put... Hey, if someone had just been convicted and had been the sentence had been handed down and it was the electric chair, if someone came in and said, no, 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 I'll, I'll go for him. I'll go to the electric chair for him. Most people aren't going to turn that down. Why would we turn down what Jesus Christ has done for us? Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12 again. The Bible says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. I believe that's a direct reference to the resurrection. Shall prolong his days. Psalm 89, where we were, Wednesday 9, 29, speaks of that. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The justice of the judge is this. Christ's sacrifice satisfied the sentence. Christ's sacrifice at the cross, His victory at the tomb, His sacrifice satisfied the sentence, my sentence, not His, my sentence. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Notice verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Does that verse make you think of another passage? Let's end here. Can we go to Philippians chapter 2 real quickly? We're done. Philippians chapter 2. I end here today because I believe verse number 12 is a reference to Philippians chapter number 2 of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the truth this morning that I leave us with. We will either, or either, however you say it, we will either bow our hearts now while we have opportunity or we will bow it then when it's too late. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, Verse number 9. Wherefore God also... Verse number 8, it speaks about the fact that He humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Dear friend, you'll either declare Him Lord now, you'll either bow, excuse me, bow the knee now and declare Him Lord now while you have opportunity. Or you will declare Him Lord one day. It's too late. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the wonderful thing is He's giving us opportunity right now to bow our hearts, to confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord, that what He did on the cross and at the tomb is sufficient for my sentence. He took my stripes. He took my sin so that He could take my sentence. Let me ask, we're going to go to invitation here in just a moment. Let me ask you just... Just quickly, have you ever placed your faith in Him? We read in Romans 3, it said, For those that believe in Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a time when you've placed your faith completely holy, 100%, in what Jesus Christ did for you for your salvation? By the way, not partly. Well, you know, when I, when I was... When I was 15, I, you know, yeah, I think I got saved. But then I got baptized right after that. I know, I know I'm saved. I'm not talking about your baptism. Baptism comes after salvation. Baptism is a step of obedience. It lets everybody else know what you have done, that you have been saved. I had a young man, Wednesday night, he's going to get baptized next week. But I asked him, I said, if I, if I take this ring off, does that, does that mean I'm still married to Miss Beverly? And he was like, hmm. You know, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm prone to lose my wedding band. I do that. I've done that quite often in the 27 years that we've been married. I've done it a lot. That's why I wear a cheap one now. But I said, if I take this off, am I still married to Miss Beverly? Absolutely. This wedding band is just a picture. It's a symbol of what we did 27 years ago when we stood before the pastor and we said our vows to each other before the pastor and God and all the witnesses. And we got married. I can take this off and I'm still married. I don't have to be baptized as important as baptism is to be saved. It's a picture. It's a symbol. So I'm not asking this morning if you've been baptized. If you've been saved, you should have been baptized. But I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've been a member of a church or if you are a member of a church. I'm not asking if you put money in the offering plate today. I'm asking if you've ever placed your faith and trust with a genuine heart in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, He paid your sentence for you. And the Bible says that if we'll come by faith, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's faith in His blood, Romans 3 says. It's not anything I can do. The trial of our transgressions, I'm guilty. The condemnation of the criminal, I deserve death. But the justice of the judge is that He sent His perfect Son to die on the cross of Calvary to cover my sin. So now God only sees His Son. He doesn't see me. And He can be just and the justifier. Justice is served. Father, help today. Lord, if there's one here without Christ, may they be saved today. Father, for believers, would You stir us to a, a greater heart of service? Would You help us to be grateful and thankful we, we didn't even really spend a ton of time in Isaiah 53, Lord. You were wounded. You were oppressed. You were afflicted. That ought to mean something to us as believers. 
because you did that for us. Father, move us, stir us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the needs of the lost. Help us to be sensitive to sin and live lives of holiness and righteousness because it's just simply our reasonable service, Romans 12 says. Father, help us during this time of invitation. Father, if we need to move, I pray that you help us to do so. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, if you're physically able, if you'll stand with me this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. Miss Pam's at the piano. She's going to play. The invitation's been given. If you're here without Christ, you need to come. You need to come. Believer, I know this wasn't necessarily the message, but how grateful are you for what Christ has done for you? How how do you manifest it and demonstrate it in your life? He He deserves every part of us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that He has bought us with a price. We're His. We ought to glorify Him in our bodies and in our spirits, the Bible says. Are we grateful? Wow! Our finite minds have a hard time wrapping wrapping itself around everything that Christ has done for us. But even in our finite minds, we can understand the level of what He did for us. The measure of what He did for us. Boy, it ought to stir us. If anything, it ought to stir us to have a more grateful heart. Jesus paid it all, the song says. All to Him I owe. Dear friend, if death were to take you today, are you confident, 100%, no doubt whatsoever, that you've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, and if death were to take you, that heaven would be your home? You sure about that? Man, Amen. Look this way if you would. Thank you so much for your attention and for your attendance today. I hope you'll be back tonight at 6, and we'll look forward to getting back into God's Word once again. Let me say this, if nobody came, that's okay, but if you're here and you don't know Christ, even if you have just, I think I am, but there's just that little nagging doubt. You don't have to live with that. You don't have to live even with a little nagging doubt. Well, I'm I'm pretty confident. Don't don't live on pretty confident. Live on 100% assured because you can. The Bible tells us we can. Don't leave here today without knowing Christ. Justice has been served, and it was served on our behalf. And praise God for it. Amen. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Again, look forward to seeing you back tonight. Uh, Brother Adam Haynes, would you pray for us and dismiss us, please, sir?